Today on the Matt Walsh Show, starring best-selling children's author Matt Walsh, the Supreme Court hears a case that very well could overturn Roe versus Wade during arguments. Justice Sotomayor helpfully demonstrated the scientific and moral vacuousness of the pro-abortion side. We'll look at that today. Also, my events at SLU went forward yesterday, despite the mob of uh, protesters who stood outside blocking traffic. I tried to go out and talk to them, but they weren't really interested in having a conversation. And the uh, Waukesha mass murderer complains that he's being demonized for plowing his car into a parade and killing six people. Alec Baldwin makes himself the victim in his first interview since he shot and killed a woman uh, on a movie set. And Australia hunts down three teenagers who escaped a quarantine camp. Finally, in our daily cancellation, we'll take a look at the worst Christmas comedy of all time, which was just released by HBO. All of that and much more today on The Matt Wall Show. Now, a new sponsor on the show I'm excited about, the MyQ Smart Camera by Chamberlain. Did you know that garages are the most frequently accessed entry point for a home? Often overlooked, the garage is where the, the people most important to you come and go, and it houses many of your most prized possessions, including your cars, tools, bikes, and so on. So it's just common sense to know what's going on inside your garage. Um, introducing the MyQ Smart Camera by Chamberlain, the only smart camera optimized for the garage Brought to you by the leaders in garage door opener technology with features like live video streaming, recorded events, motion detection, and two-way communication right from your phone. You can make sure that your garage is secure 24-7. Pair it with the MyQ Smart Garage Control, and you'll never have to worry if you left the garage door open again. You can check it, see it, and close it all through the MyQ app from anywhere. And that's uh, one of the best features of this, I think, is because I'm, I'm definitely that kind of person where you leave the house and then you start thinking, did I shut the garage? Did I do this and that? So you have the ability to take care of all that on your app. So what are you waiting for? Give the gift of a MyQ Smart Garage camera to tech lovers this season. If you act now, you can save 40% for a limited time by entering Walsh at checkout on myq.com slash Walsh. That's Walsh at checkout on myq.com slash Walsh to save 40%. Keep an eye on what's happening in and around your home's busiest entryway with the MyQ Smart Garage camera. It's the only smart camera optimized for the garage. So we could very well be on the cusp of history, and uh, for once I mean that actually in a good way. The Supreme Court yesterday heard arguments in the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization case, case which stems from a law in Mississippi originally passed in 2018 banning abortions after 15 weeks. Setting the marker at 15 weeks, of course, directly challenges intentionally the precedent set by the egregiously terrible and evil Roe decision in 1973, which it's generally agreed requires that abortion be allowed up until viability whatever exactly viability means. Although the viability concept is ambiguous, most states say that the quote-unquote fetus is viable somewhere between 20 and 24 weeks, not 15 weeks. But again, this whole way of speaking about human children is, um, doesn't make a lot of sense, first of all, and is, is already intentionally dehumanizing. What does it mean to say that a human is viable or not viable? Like, what, what, what do you mean when you say that about a human being? Most people would say that viable fetus means a baby who can survive outside the womb. But that's a, a misnomer, and it also shouldn't matter. Right? Why should it matter? All healthy humans can survive given the right environment. I mean, every single human being, because we're mortal creatures, we have certain environmental needs. And if, we, if those environmental needs are met, we can survive. If they're not, then we can't. For an unborn baby, the environment they require is a womb. Those of us on the outside have different environmental requirements. 
So in order for a baby in the womb to be viable, it must be able to survive in an environment other than the one that it naturally needs to be in. You might as well say that the only viable adult is the one who can survive on the moon or at the bottom of the sea. It doesn't make any sense. Besides, even the viable babies, if they're born early, will be sent up to the NICU like my like the twins were. Our, our kids were. That's what happened with them because they were born early. And they go to the NICU at the hospital um, and they're put in an environment meant to simulate a womb. So a viable baby is one who is in a simulated womb instead of a, a, a natural one. The whole thing makes no sense. But I'm getting ahead of myself here, I think. Uh, these are the sorts of issues they debated yesterday relating to the Dobbs case. And the upshot is that potentially, as the Mississippi law flies directly in the face of Roe, and rightly so, the justices could come up with an opinion that affirms the Mississippi law and overturns Roe. So we could be living in the last days of Roe, thank God. And the great thing is that even aside from whatever decision, whatever the decision ultimately is, Roe has already been exposed due to how it was defended by the liberal justices yesterday. There's a reason why the left would prefer not to debate this topic at all. I mean, they want to talk about this topic, talk about it as in scream slogans in your face, but they're not interested in a debate because when they debate it, you end up with Justice Sotomayor who humiliated herself repeatedly yesterday during the deliberations and exposed the pro-abortion side for the vacuous, poisonous nonsense that it is. Case in point, here she is claiming that unborn children are brain dead. Listen. Virtually every state defines a brain death as death. Yet the literature is filled with episodes of people who are completely and utterly brain dead responding to stimuli. Um, it, there's about 40% of dead people who, if you touch their feet, the foot will recoil. There are spontaneous acts by dead brain people. So I don't think that a response to, uh, by a fetus necessarily proves that there's a sensation of pain or that there's consciousness. Dead-brained people is how she describes a child in the womb. The problem is that the word dead means literally no longer alive. That's what dead means. That's the dictionary definition. Death, it's also the, the medical definition. Death is the stage you enter into after your life is over. Okay? If Sotomayor is suggesting that unborn children are dead from conception then, well, they cannot be dead because they were never alive, according to her. By definition, a thing which has never been alive cannot be dead. The point is that if she believes that the unborn child has never been alive, then she cannot say that it's dead by definition. This, of course, leaves her with the major problem of figuring out what sort of state a person can be in where they are neither dead nor alive. Now we're in the realm of, I don't know, vampires and zombies, I suppose. The other point is that if unborn children are dead, why do you need the abortion? The abortion is procured precisely to cause the living child to become a dead child. If he's already a dead child, what role does the abortionist play? Why are we even talking about this? And by the way, how do we distinguish between like a miscarriage and a healthy child if they're all dead? 
When a pregnant woman goes in for her appointments, you know, uh, in, throughout the, the pregnancy to get sonograms and check on the child, uh, check, check on his health, what are they looking for? How can they assess the health of a dead creature? It, it's absurd. And yet this is a Supreme Court justice saying this. Here's one other difference between an unborn child and a dead person. The dead person will never not be dead. Now, I, I can't believe I have to explain this to a Supreme Court justice, but I do. So a dead person is, is always going to be dead, at least, at least from a physical perspective in this life. From a scientific perspective, death is final. Dead people don't grow or develop into living people. They don't grow or develop at all. They decompose and disintegrate. Yet, whatever you think of the unborn child in the womb, there is no question that, that if he is, is, is healthy and left alone in that environment, he will be born and become the sort of person that even Justice Sotomayor would affirm as living. Justice Sotomayor is a living person right now herself. Despite all appearances, she is not technically brain dead, though maybe perhaps close to it. And yet, Justice Sotomayor was at one point an unborn child. If I were, if I were to trace the chain of Sotomayor and follow her back in time, eventually I would get to the point where Sotomayor was a baby in the womb. So there's an unbroken chain of selfhood connecting the Sotomayor of today to the Sotomayor in the womb. If she's a living person now, she must have been a living person then, because dead people don't become living people. It makes no logical or scientific sense to say that any living person today was, at one point in their past, a dead person. She also makes the claim that the unborn child um, isn't conscious. Now, she can't actually know if that's true, of course. We don't understand almost anything about consciousness, what it is, where it comes from. And in any case, why should life and consciousness be conflated? These are not the same thing. Who says that all living things must be conscious? Who decided that? I mean, technically, we, technically, we don't even know if non-living things are unconscious. There's a whole branch of philosophy, I mean, a fringe branch, granted, and, and silly, but, but still, called panpsychism, which claims that consciousness is a fundamental fact of reality and that all matter has some, ele- some, some amount of consciousness. Now, that, of course, is almost certainly not true. My point is just that consciousness is... Um, a philosophical discussion, first of all, not something the Supreme Court needs to rule on, but but also mysterious. We, we, just, we just don't we, we don't know anything about it. You can't use it to justify killing babies or anybody. If consciousness is simply self-awareness, though, the awareness that you are a self, the experience of being a self, if that's what consciousness is, then then perhaps the unborn child has not yet developed that capacity. But then again, the infant outside of the womb doesn't have that capacity either. Whatever the case, however much consciousness they do or don't have, what we know for sure is that it's a temporary situation. Humans grow in self-awareness as they get older and develop. Are we saying that it's permissible to kill temporarily unconscious people? Well, that ought to make you pretty uncomfortable when you go to sleep at night and lapse into a state of temporary unconsciousness. It's all absurd and only gets worse from there. Later, Sotomayor makes the claim that the pro-life position is uh, entirely a religious position. Listen to this. How is your interest anything but a religious view? Um, The issue of when life begins has been hotly debated by philosophers since the beginning of time. It's still debated in religions. Um... So when you say this is the only right that takes away from the state the ability to protect the life, 
that's a religious view, isn't it? Because it assumes that a fetus is life at when? You're not drawing your, when do you suggest we begin that way? Your Honor, I, I, aside from- I'm putting it aside from religion. I, I, I'll, I'll try to, I, th I think there might be more than one question and I'll do my very best, Justice Sotomayor. Um, I, I think this court in Gonzales pretty clearly recognized that before viability, we are talking with unborn life with a human organism. And I think the philosophical questions Your Honor mentioned, all those reasons that they're hard, they've been debated, they're, they're, they're important, they're, those are all reasons to return this to the people because the people should get to debate these hard issues. When does the life of a woman and putting her at risk enter the calculus, meaning right now forcing women who are poor, and that's 75% of the population, and much higher percentage of those women in Mississippi who elect abortions before viability, they are put at a tremendously greater risk of medical complications and ending their life, 14 times greater to give birth to a child full term than it is to have an abortion before viability. On second thought, uh, she really is doing quite a lot to prove that a person can be alive but brain dead at the same time. I mean, these arguments that she's putting forward are about as sophisticated as the kind of thing I read from leftists in my YouTube comments uh, and will probably read after this show. She's just, she's building a rhetorical castle of, of wrongness, brick by brick, one wrong statement after another on top of each other. She says that the view that fetuses are living is religious. Well, no, it's not. It's science. The definition of life is literally the condition that distinguishes animals and plants from inorganic matter, including the capacity for growth, reproduction, functional activity, and continual change preceding death. Is the baby in the womb inorganic? Is it an inanimate object? Is it on the level of a rock or a chair or a clump of dirt? If so, how do I exist? Again, I am a living person. And yet, if I go back far enough in my own timeline, in the timeline of my physical existence, I will find myself as a fetus, quote unquote. So was there a time in my physical life when I was not living? Was there a stage of my life in which I did not have life? That's not only scientifically illiterate, but it's logically incomprehensible. And besides, if the view that life begins in the womb is religious, what about the view that life does not begin in the womb? This is the bait and switch you always get from these people. They claim that abor the abortion discussion is a religious discussion, yet, and yet, yet somehow their own position within that discussion is not religious, somehow. Nobody can know when life begins, they say which means that our assurance that it begins in the womb is a matter of faith, they say. And yet their assurance that it does not begin in the womb is not faith? And anyway, if we don't know when life begins, right? Because that's their way around this. They're saying, no, I, I'm, I'm not taking a religious stance on this. I, I, we don't know. I, I, so I'm saying I don't know. I'm, being agno I've, I'm agnostic on when life begins. That's basically what Sotomayor was saying. Okay, so... If we don't know when life begins, as she says, isn't that all the more reason not to kill children in the womb? She says we don't know, but, but what that actually means is I don't know, right? She's saying that she doesn't know. She can't speak for what other people know or don't know. 
She could only say what she doesn't know. And so she admits that she doesn't know if life begins in the womb. Yet she wants to kill them anyway. Even though there is, according to her, by her own confession, at least a chance that the child is alive. So she's willing to say, yeah, 60 million kids have been aborted since Roe v. Wade. What, according to her, there's at least a chance that all 60 million were human beings and that, and that we have committed a genocide of 60 million babies. There's a chance of that, according to her. So isn't that like throwing a grenade into a, into a dark room, hoping and assuming the room is empty but not knowing for sure? If you kill someone in the process of doing that, even if you didn't know, you didn't know there was someone in the room, but you knew they could have been in the room, and you threw it anyway... Are you guilty of, of, uh, of murder? Yes. See, it's the pro-abortion side which truly acts on faith here. Theirs is a religious conviction. Roe v. Wade was a decision which imposed the leftist religious view with abortion as its highest sacrament onto the entire nation. They're not defending a medical procedure. They're defending their sacred ritual. And it's impossible to fathom, therefore, just the demonic fury that will erupt from these people should Roe be overturned. And that is a spectacle that we will all get to witness very soon. God willing. Now let's get to our five headlines. Well, as we get uh, towards Christmas, if you're panicking and thinking, like, what, what can I get someone for Christmas? I need, I need, a, good, I need a gift. I need a gift that's, uh, that's thoughtful and that w- won't look like I came up with it at the last minute. Let me give you an idea. Paintyourlife.com. Paintyourlife.com. Well, it can get you an original painting by a world-class artist done by hand from any photo at an affordable price. Uh, you can get a professional hand-painted portrait created from any photo. And again, the, the prices are very, very affordable. You can sit, well, All you have to do, it's very easy. I've done, done this a couple of times. You send them any picture, whether it's a picture of yourself, your children, family, a special place, a moment on vacation, whatever, a pet. And you can, you can even combine photos into one painting and make an original image that way. And uh, with Paint Your Life's compilation portraits, you can bring together family members who never had the chance to meet or create a portrait of the whole family without the need for everyone to be there for a family photo. And then all they're going to do is they're going to have their team of world-class artists turn this into a painting. And you're going to be very involved every step of the way. And they're going to turn that thing around and get it back to you much quicker than you can possibly imagine. At PaintYourLife.com, there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And right now, as a limited time offer, get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, text the word MATT to 64000. That's MATT to 64000. Text MATT to 64000. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Well, as we get into into news, I, I should mention, because I, I think I've neglected to mention this probably all week, but I, I do have a children's book out called Johnny the Walrus. And that's this, if you're wondering what this book is sitting right here next to me and you're watching this, um, that's my book, Johnny the Walrus. And it is on sale at johnnythewalrus.com right now. Uh, just to be totally honest and transparent with you, we, we had no idea. We didn't expect the book to be quite as popular as it has been. So we sold out of them in, a, in less than a day, which I don't think anyone was quite prepared for. Now, I knew it would be a smash success, but uh, even I wasn't quite Prepare for that, which is why if you go to Amazon right now, you still won't find the book. Uh, we are solving, we're in the process of solving that problem, and hopefully sometime today it'll be available on Amazon, again, until they ban it, but um, as we're getting, you know, as we're getting uh, kind of restocked here. Um, but you can still reserve your copy at uh, johnnythewalrus.com today. Okay. One other thing on the Supreme Court case that I wanted to mention, um, 
pulling this up from Fox News. Uh, talk, we, we talk about the, the demonic fury of the pro-abortion side. Well, speaking of which, Fox News reports, protesters gathered outside the Supreme Court were seen taking abortion pills ahead of the nation's, uh, high, uh, the, uh, nation's highest court hearing arguments over the Mississippi law challenging Roe v. Wade. Abortion pills forever, the protesters repeatedly chanted, according to footage posted by Aaron Matson on Twitter Wednesday morning. And then they, um, in fact, we have the video. They, uh, they were out there chanting, standing in front of a sign that says, we are taking abortion pills forever. And then there were four women who pull out a pill and take it. Let's, let's play that video. Abortion pills forever. There we go. Now, this is evidence, again, that the safe, legal, and rare days are long behind us. I mean, long behind us. They've been behind us for uh, for a while. Really, really, the personhood debates are behind us also, at least culturally. Uh, it's still worth having the discussion, especially because in the Supreme Court, you know, this this is the that case is going to center around questions like personhood. But in the culture, anyway, the pro-abortion side, you know, they don't care if the baby is a baby or not, if the baby is living or not. They've moved, they've moved beyond that. They've moved past that. Doesn't matter to them. The shout your abortion, these were all the uh, hashtag shout your abortion people out there. The shout your abortion people, when they're shouting their abortion, they're not saying, um, oh, I, I got an abortion because my, my, the, the fetus isn't conscious. Or I got an abortion because I don't believe that life begins at conception. That's not what they're saying. They're saying, I got an abortion because I wanted to. I got abortion because it's my body and I'll do what I want with it. And if that means killing a child, then so be it. That's the attitude. The point is that the self reigns supreme. And the woman, as herself, should be able to do whatever she wants. Also, the pro boards see the, the relationship between a mother and child as, as fundamentally antagonistic. And so it's, it's sort of like an us or them mentality that they have about children. There's a very, there's very real anger among pro boards at babies themselves. And we, we could call them and we could, without hyperbole, we could call them anti-baby because of course they are. It's no surprise given that they support killing millions of babies. Um, but they actually, they, they actually hate babies. The very existence of children, they hate, they hate children because children are dependent on parents, dependent on mothers. And they hate that. The idea that anybody would be dependent on them, the idea that anybody would make any kind of claim over them, the idea that they would be responsible to anyone for anything, they, they can't abide, by, abide that. In their self-worshipping, literally satanic religion, they can't abide that. They see family life as a zero-sum game. You know, it's, it's a competition. This is why feminists, if anyone makes the catastrophic mistake of marrying a feminist, they never stay married for very long. I think the, the world record for the longest feminist marriage is, um, is three and a half years, I believe. I'll have to check Guinness, but it's not going to last for very long. 
because they see the family as a patriarchal institution. They see it as, as it's all competition. It's me or you. This is a, this is a struggle between mother and child, mother and, and father. And, um, that's why it just doesn't, that's why marriages don't work. But that's, that's also why, as far as they're concerned, yeah, sit there, take a, take an abortion pill. Safe, legal, and rare. I mean, sure, we want abortions to be legal, but rare? Why, why should abortions be rare? Abortions are an expression of a woman's uh, independence, her autonomy. They should happen more often, if anything. That's the attitude. All right. Uh, after all the hype and buildup, and in spite of the many obstacles put in our way, our event at SLU happened last night. Or SLU, which is apparently what the students call it. And they didn't tell me that until the Q&A, and I was calling it SLU the entire time. Um, but I'm just going to stick with SLU anyway. Enormous crowds. We had, we had a, a room with a capacity of 200 people, I think. And we fit 450 people into it, plus, a, plus, plus an overflow room. So it was great. And then, of course, there was the mob of protesters outside blocking traffic. I did decide to go outside and um, confront the protesters personally. Not confront. I wanted to go. I wanted to talk to them, have a conversation, and also give them a chance to answer the "what is a woman" question because that was my challenge. I did say that before I came on campus. I said, if anyone can come to my talk and and define, if any leftist can come and define the word "woman" and do it successfully, I will admit defeat and I will never speak on another college campus ever again. And um, none of them actually showed up to the talk to to meet my my challenge. So I went out to them and. Um, uh, not, you know, is it necessarily a smart or safe thing to go out, to go walk out into the middle of the street and talk to the angry mob of insane people who've come to protest you? Probably not, but I don't often choose the, uh, the smart path. So no reason to start now, I figure, but rather than me recapping it, I'll play this report from CBS, which, which is actually surprisingly fair. They were there and uh, they captured some of this, including, uh, me and my, my, uh, I suppose conversation with protesters. Let's, let's watch that. A conservative speaker's views sparking protests tonight. St. Louis University students invited Matt Walsh to speak. He's a commentator for the conservative media outlet, The Daily Wire. News 4's Caroline Hecker was there as the clash of opinions hit the streets of Midtown. Trans lives matter! A clash of views. Outside the Coronado near SLU's campus Wednesday night, ahead of the arrival of conservative speaker Matt Walsh. But the controversy began weeks ago. Walsh was originally scheduled to speak at a building on campus, but says the university's COVID measures were too strict. St. Francis Xavier Church, also on campus, then volunteered to play host. But the president of SLU's College Republicans says at the last minute, the priest changed his mind. We're very disappointed to see that the church would uh, rescind the invitation especially on such short notice. Father Dan White released this statement, claiming comments made by Walsh, quote, run contrary to the values of Catholic faith, resulting in the event being canceled. But that's just not true. Matt is a devout Catholic. Um, his views are in, like, very good alignment with the church. Students then secured an off-campus location, drawing long lines Wednesday night. My body, my body, my 
Before the speech, Walsh came outside to speak with the protesters, who accuse him of being racist and transphobic. Those inside say while they don't expect everyone to agree, civil discourse is important. I don't think Matt Walsh is some kind of extremist or anything like that. I think he's pretty normal and mainstream in the conservative media. So I think it's very, very important for you know, colleges to accept that. Um, even if they may not agree, I still think that the First Amendment is pretty important, and it's very important for students to be able to, you know, hear from a different perspective. We spoke with dozens of SLU students before the event started who were waiting in line. None of them wanted to talk to us on camera, telling me they were fearful that giving their opinions could make them a target on campus. Well, what does that tell you? Probably the most revealing thing in the whole thing. They were there, but they don't want to be on camera talking about it because of it. And can you blame them, given, given where they're going to school? The kind of treatment I got, and the, the great thing for me is that I can show up and uh, cause a lot of trouble and then leave, but they have to stay there on campus. So I give a lot of credit to the students who uh, made this, just, no matter what, they, they were going to make this event happen, and uh, so a lot of credit to them for doing that. Why did I go out there to talk to them? Well, for one thing, it's only polite to go and say hi to people that have come out you know, because of you. And for another, these people are cowards. Um, and we are, we are far too often intimidated by cowards when, because they're in large groups, you know, individually they're, they're, they won't even show up. None of those people, not, not one single person from that crowd went inside, certainly to hear the talk or, or to, you know, they, they had a chance in the Q and a, you can take the microphone. And if you think that you can embarrass me by exposing my ideas as being bigoted and all that kind of stuff. I mean, why not take that why not take that opportunity? If I'm really if I'm really just a raging bigot, a stupid raging bigot, well then that should be very easy to uncover in a conversation where you have a microphone. But they're not going to do that because then it's one on one. And they don't want to be in that kind of position. Um, they always want to they always want to operate in groups. And when they all come together, we put a, put a bunch of cowards together in, 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 together in a group, people become intimidated. And we, we cannot be intimidated. So, yeah, I'll just go, go right out there and talk to them. What are they going to do? I was walking up. I don't know if it was caught. We actually have, we have, we have footage our, ourselves that we, um, that we took. And we'll, I, I put it up some of on, up on Twitter. I put it up on Instagram also. And I think you, it captures this moment where I'm, I'm walking up to the crowd. And uh, one of the guys c- comes, comes forward and says, uh, screams, do not come over here. And then so I came over there, and he just backed away. So pretty pretty great. And as I was standing there, also, it was fun to watch because the, the crowd was originally in the street blocking traffic. But as I was standing there, they all started backing away. And then very, very soon, we're off of the street. So it, it's just me and like 200 people, and they're afraid. Is that because I'm, I'm a big bad wolf? I'm big and scary? No. It's just because they're absolute cowards. And they're, and they're not ready to be challenged and not expecting it and don't know what to do when they are. Um, and they have a fragile, this, this worldview that they've constructed and that they have uh, subscribed to is very, very fragile. And it cannot withstand any inspection, any cross-examination. So that was good. Although I will say one other, one other note about this is that... Um, uh, it, the talk almost didn't happen at all, not for the reasons that you've heard about, but um, I will admit that uh, we, we, were, we were flying out of D.C. to go to St. Louis, and somehow we ended up going to the wrong airport. 
Um, and so I, I, we, we almost missed the flight. I was at the wrong airport. We went to Dulles. We were supposed to be at Reagan. And uh, we had like 45 minutes to get over to the, uh, the airport, get, get through security. And I almost missed the flight. And I'm just thinking, my God, after all of this, if the talk is shut down because I had to cancel it because I went to the wrong airport and missed my flight, that, that, that would be... That would be the one way to, for me to pull an L out of this whole situation. But thankfully, that, that didn't happen. All right, let's go to um, this from Fox 6. It says, has spent the last 10 days locked up in a Wisconsin jail cell after allegedly mowing down uh, through the barricades and into revelers at the Waukesha Christmas Parade, killing six people. Now he feels dehumanized, he told Fox News Digital Wednesday in his first remarks to the media, seemingly surprised that he had visitors. Uh, 39 said, I just feel like I'm being a monster, demonized, wearing a sleeveless green jail jumpsuit and his hair in braids. The soft-spoken accused killer offered no details about what prompted the carnage. The two Fox News reporters on the other side of the video screen marked the first visitors he's seen since the November 21st night of horror. Not even his mother has dropped by, he said. So he's, he's complaining that he's being dehumanized and demonized. Well, he's, he's actually right that he has been dehumanized and demonized. The only difference is that um, the only, the only, he's just wrong about who is responsible for doing that. See, he has dehumanized and demonized himself in a very literal sense. He has decided through his own actions to sink below the level of a human being, to act like an animal, to become a demon. So that's, that's, that's you doing that. That's a decision you made, not the rest of us. It's also interesting that they were able to talk to him um, for, for a couple of minutes. And so he is, he is talking to the media. The one, the one media outlet interested in talking to him, of course, Fox News. But we, we still have not been told anything about why he did it. I think we know why he did it. But even though this, this, uh, this scumbag, this animal, this monster is still alive and is talking... We, we still don't know why he did it. Speaking of his mom, um, this is also from Fox. It says his mother broke her silence Wednesday in a letter to the media blaming last month's Christmas parade tragedy on a lack of mental health services for her son, according to a press report. was living with his 62-year-old mom, big surprise, when authorities say he plowed his red Ford es- escape into an annual Christmas parade. Um... We are not making excuses, Woods wrote in a letter, but we believe that what has happened is because he was not given the help and resources he need, needs. Institutions that are equipped and have trained staff is what we, is needed, as well as resources in the communities where people who suffer with mental illnesses live. Jail is not the answer because they get released back in society sicker than they were before when they entered. We all see what a tragedy that can turn out to be. Well, again, she's, she's partially right. Jail is not the answer for violent, dangerous people if you're just going to release them again in a couple of months or a couple of years. So she's right about that. The answer, though, is, um, is not to not send them to jail at all, but to send them to jail and keep them there. That would, be, that would have been the answer with, with Daryl Brooks. But I, I totally agree with her that you take uh, an evil person, or as she would put it, mentally ill, a, a quote-unquote sick person, um, and you put them in jail, you, you kind of filter them through the system, letting them marinate for, for a, a short period of time in an environment with other violent psychopaths. And then you release them back 
and, and tell them, make sure to check in with your parole officer every once in a while. You do that and you are asking for something like this. You're practically inviting it explicitly. But the answer again is to, no, you send them to jail and you keep them there. What she's doing here, and she has the incentive of making an excuse for her son. Um, she's not the only one who does this. But th- this, this medicalization of human evil. Even people who are not related to mass killers will very often say, they'll, they'll look at something like this when it happens, whether it's Waukesha or uh, you know the Oxford High School shooting a few days after that. And we say, well, this, they, they must have been crazy. There's, there's no way a sane person would do this. And then pretty soon you end up in a situation where evil doesn't exist anymore as a category of, of human behavior. There, there is no evil anymore. There are um, good people who basically do the right thing most of the time. And then there are crazy people. And th- those are the two categories. Now, th- this, is, this is great for the pharmaceutical industry. This is great for the psychology industry, psychiatric industry. It's great for them. Because all that means is that we are farming all of these problems out to uh, doctors and psychiatrists and pills to solve. But psychiatrists and doctors and pills cannot solve the problem of human evil. No, no human institution can solve that problem. Now, I understand why we want to retreat behind this medicalization reflex. Because it's a, it's a scary thing to think. It's a scary thought that sane, lucid people could make the choice to do something like what this guy did. It's a scary thought, but... Uh, but that's the reality of human nature. Uh, finally, on Waukesha, a few days ago, Ron DeSantis spoke some truth on, on the subject, and I thought this was great. Let's, let's listen to this. Is that how it works? The SUVs, they just drive by themselves? This just kind of happened? And they say, oh, this was a big accident. Uh, you never actually hear the discussion about who committed this, uh, what was the motivation uh, this guy was a career criminal, let out on, didn't really have any bail, basically, should not have even been on the street, uh, had clear anti-white animus, uh, and this was an intentional act. And it seems like, you know, for corporate press, they're more apt to, to characterize a parent who goes to a school board meeting to protest bad policies as a domestic terrorist than somebody who intentionally rams an SUV into a crowd of innocent people. So you have at least six have died. You have many more that have been injured. I know many people are in the hospital. And so uh, let's just be clear. This was not a car just driving in. This was an attack by a felon who did that, who should not have been on the street. And we'll see what the actual motivation was. Uh, It very well may have been in response to what happened with Kyle Rittenhouse. And you have to wonder if that's the case. Almost surely, this guy's view of Rittenhouse was, was colored by all these media lies. Ron DeSantis, very effective governor, but uh, in terms of criticizing the media and exposing the, the media, there is no Republican in elected office or formerly in elected office who is as effective and eloquent and powerful uh, in that regard as Ron DeSantis. So I think he's, he's, he's the best in the Republican Party. He's the best at governing right now. He's also the best at criticizing the media, if we consider that to be an important aspect of, of, you know, being a Republican elected leader. And I do think it's actually pretty important. Um, he, he put it very well there in, in, about, in about one minute. I don't think there's anyone else in the Republican Party who's, who's doing that. 
All right. Australia has been putting people in camps, uh, quarantine camps, and there's been a lot of discussion about this on social media with some people insisting that, sure, they're shipping people off to camps and sure, that has some really problematic historical implications. But 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 social media has, has also said it's all voluntary. You understand they're volunteering to, to go to these camps. Well, here's a report out of Australia. Uh, and you tell me if this sounds voluntary to you. Teenagers who allegedly escaped quarantine at the Howard Springs facility near Darwin have been taken in by police. Following a six-hour search, Nine's Talia Sav has the latest for us. Well, we can expect to see some changes implemented here at the Centre for National Resilience after three teenagers allegedly escaped. A search spanning several hours was sparked this morning after police say the group scaled a fence and fled Howard Springs around 4.30am. Authorities located the teenagers about half a dozen kilometres away. It's understood they travelled by foot and didn't mingle with anyone else. The 15, 16 and 17-year-old are close contacts of a case from the remote community of Binjari near Catherine, who all tested negative to COVID yesterday. The Territory's police commissioner believes isolation and loneliness may have contributed to the trio taking off, empathising they're not used to living in their own units. CCTV will also now be increased across the site as well as bolstered internal security. The trio are expected to face a fine of five grand each. Oh, you think that might be what it is? Isolation and loneliness? You think maybe? Yeah, I think maybe when you take... um innocent people who haven't committed a crime and you put them in solitary confinement in a camp out in the wilderness, well, gosh, I don't know why they would try to escape, but could it be that they're a little bit lonely and isolated? And we, and, and we put them in this miserable condition and taking away all their freedoms with no justification? Oh, the police, they're, they're speculating that you know, that might be what it is. Did I hear that right, by the way? They tested negative. So these people are not sick. Even if they were sick. You know, I'm not in favor of rounding up sick people and sending them to camps either. But it's all the worst when these are not sick people. So they 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 allegedly had contact with someone who, who might have had COVID. They didn't get sick. They tested negative, And yet they were put in isolation camps. This is happening in, in, this, in the supposedly civilized world. In Australia, which may be far away geographically, but culturally it's not. By the way, quarantine, I know we've gotten used to this term, quarantine, but quarantine is for sick people, by definition. You know, the, quarantine is what you do with a sick person. When you take a healthy person who is not sick and has not committed a crime, and you lock them in a, you lock them anywhere, and restrict their freedom of movement so much so that if they leave wherever you put them, we call it an escape and you chase them down with dogs and spotlights and helicopters. Um, that's, uh, that's not called quarantine. You know, that's false imprisonment. That's kidnapping. And if you're doing this in a camp where you are bringing concentrations of people who are not sick and have not committed a crime and you're putting them in a camp and telling them they can't leave. I mean, there, there, there are lots of different words we could use labels that we could put on that. And as I said, they all have uh, very, very terrifying historical implications. So this, this is what's happening again in the supposedly civilized world.
All right. Let's hop over. I got to play this for you before we get into uh, the comment section. Little bonus content here. Let's because we're already in Australia. Let's just hop over to uh, New Zealand, where some misguided white people have produced something truly horrific. And this is another one of those occasions where I, I was subjected to this. Misery loves company, and so now I'm forcing you to see it too. Uh, here it is. And academics who are usually hard at work behind the scenes have been given centre stage during the pandemic. They've become the faces of COVID, sharing their expertise as we seek more information to combat the misinformation. Now a familiar face is using his science skills to strike a new chord. Yeah, yeah, science has done it again. A new solution to the mess that we're in. Creating a new way to save the planet so we can get back to our regular habits. But here's the issue, and it's quite severe. We need everyone in, or the result is clear. The virus will loiter outside your home, try to steal your breath. In fact, you don't. But if everyone is keen to go and get the vaccine, you're going to be safe in the face of virus attacks. Defend ourselves from no mutations, party sensations across the nation. So, there's that. But we'll get to the comment section. Daily cancellations are the law and order of the day. We're the sweet baby gang. Well, now that Thanksgiving is over, it's time for the holidays, and this is when you start reminiscing on the past and all of your great memories. But the problem is that a lot of those memories that you have of the past, they are locked inside antiquated technology that um, you may not have the ability to even access anymore and can easily be destroyed. You got it, You have it stored somewhere in an attic or in a, in a basement, uh, susceptible to flooding and, and just the ravages of time. That's why you need Legacy Box. Um, and right now, Legacy Box has their Cyber Week sale where you can take an unreal 65% off. Legacy Box is the simple and safe way to preserve your irreplaceable family memories. Their service couldn't be easier. You send in your legacy box filled with old home movies and photos, and they will get to work creating a digital collection stored on a thumb drive, DVD, or the cloud. Plus, with their Cyber Week sale, you can have everything preserved at a fraction of the regular price. Everything is professionally digitized, and um, in look, over a million people have taken advantage of this service, and so you know that it's good. Legacy Box's Cyber Week sale is here, and they're giving our listeners the best deal of the year. Visit LegacyBox.com Walsh for an incredible 65% off any size Legacy Box. That's LegacyBox.com slash Walsh for 65% off. Don't wait. This deal won't last long. LegacyBox.com slash Walsh. Um, Con Dervis says, if this is a Catholic school, I cannot imagine the situation in a normal school. Parents, save your children before it's too late. Uh, yeah, it's, if you needed another wake-up call about the university system, then maybe that's one. This is allegedly a Catholic school, and that's up. I cannot... I have, of course, talked. We've we've talked about it plenty over the last few weeks, but I still cannot fully put into words uh, how depressing it is. Although you you try to have some fun with it, as I did last night, it's still supremely depressing as a Catholic that the most hostile reception I've ever received on any campus is at a Catholic school. I've never had anything like that. I mean, there's been plenty of campuses I've gone to where there's been some protests and they put petitions and they didn't want me to come, but nothing to that level. I mean, there were hundreds of people outside blocking traffic. That's how upset they were. On top of everything else they did before I showed up at a Catholic school, the worst, the worst at a Catholic school. I've gone to, um, 
I mean, we, we, we've gone to, you know, public universities in California. We've, been, we've gone all over the place. We've gone to, to very, very liberal schools. And uh, it, it wasn't that bad. In fact, the other, the, the second most hostile reception was at, uh, was at Baylor. So, you know, the, the Christian and Catholic schools, at least in terms of, of this and how they receive conservative speakers, in my experience, are the worst what does that tell you? All right. Uh, Devin says, as a best-selling children's author, you need to be careful who's in charge of the books when you die. You can't let them get canceled like Dr. Seuss. Well, I've already been canceled, so that's a, that's a moot point. Plus, all my books are going to be buried with me when I die. All the remaining books, all the books that have already been sold, that's my, that's that's the ritual. That's going to be in my, my, my request upon my death. I'll be buried, and then everyone who's bought who has per- previously purchased Johnny the Walrus, come to my funeral and throw it in to the hole with me, to be buried with me. It's a little strange, but that's that's my tradition. Uh, let's see. Uh, what do we got? Derek says, just ordered the SBG camp mug and Johnny the Walrus. Soon I'll be dad level 1,000 and my kids won't have any idea what hit them. Um, yes, well, that's as as I, I don't know if I mentioned yet, but if you wanted to purchase Johnny the Walrus right now, the only place you can do it is by going to uh, dailywire.com. And while you're there at daily at the, at the shop, dailywire.com/shop at the uh, the merch store, the swag shack, you might as well pick up. We got a whole lot of Johnny the Walrus merchandise as well, um, along with our shop or, or rather our return or die shopping cart T-shirt, which is still my favorite item that we have there. All of the anti panda merchandise, all of it's there. At dailywire.com slash shop. Um, Kyle says, I'm slowly beginning to think that Matt truly does enjoy talking about refinancing and mortgages. I don't even think he's getting paid to promote American financing any longer. Your intuition is actually correct. I told him to stop paying me for it. I couldn't accept money for something that brings me such joy. So you're right about that. Um, Matt, did you get the idea for Johnny the Walrus from the movie Tusk? Just kidding, but I'd like to see your critique on some of Kevin Smith's movies. Your description of the TSA really was a, a good comparison to how humans can easily become tyrants with a tiny bit of power given. No, I, I, I heard about this Tusk movie after Johnny the Walrus came out. And everybody started telling me, oh, this is like Tusk. And, um, and now that I've had the movie described to me, it sounds horrifying and also pointless. Not, not exactly the same thing as John, Johnny the Walrus. Actually, I got the, I, the Walrus idea specifically, and I didn't get it from the Beatles either. Um, I got it from my wife. The truth is, I'm proud to say my wife helped me come up with this idea. So she first suggested to me the idea. This was back like in the winter, last winter. She suggested to me the idea that I should write a children's book. And um, the original concept was a children's book that would be in true, you know, in, in true Matt Walsh style, I suppose, uh, just dark and depressing. And that was originally the idea. And then we kind of started thinking about it more. And then I threw out the idea of the trans book idea. And uh, we were thinking about, well, what animal should the, should the kid be? And then my wife had the moment of inspiration, walrus. It's just the funniest animal for, the, for these purposes, and she's right. So um, that's how that all came about. And uh, finally, Bob says, Matt Walsh literally got me interested in Christ. Then he admits that he's a banjo fraud on Timcast. You broke my heart, Matt Walsh. Glad I'm banned. I, I did say that. On, on the show that I uh, didn't know how to play the banjo, but that was more, you know, there were, there were a lot of musicians in the room and I didn't want to embarrass them with my own musical abilities. So I, I said that I didn't know how to play it, but I was, 
That, that was humility on my part. Okay, don't blame me for humility. Well, as you've heard, as a uh, newly crowned best-selling children's author, in fact, I think I could call myself, at least for a day, um, the top-selling children's author in the world. Um, and in fact, the Johnny the Walrus was so popular that we were not able to keep it on the shelves. We sold out in less than a day. And so that means that if you want to get your copy of, uh, of Johnny the Walrus, as, long, as well as 10 other copies to give to all your family and friends, especially the more left-leaning family and, fr- and friends, um, then you got to go to johnnythewalrus.com and uh, reserve a copy today, and you could do that. Also, i got to let you know that The Daily Wire has been hard at work keeping their promise of bringing you tons of content that you literally won't get anywhere else, like Johnny the Walrus. That's not what this promo is about. Um, And we're so excited to share one of our highly anticipated trailers with you. The trailer features our first original production, Shut In, a seat-gripping thriller that will be available to stream in early 2022. The film follows the story of a young mother who is barricaded inside a closet by her violent ex-husband, And she's trapped inside. As she's trapped inside, she uses nothing but her voice to guide her children on the other side of the walls to safety, all while the threat of her danger, um, of the danger, looms. And we just released the trailer. We'll play it now. It's a a very effective trailer. Uh, Let's watch that. Lainey? I'm gonna take off tonight so the kids can sleep most of the way. Well, I'm mostly done. I just need to finish cleaning out the pantry. There's a lot of money. There's thousands of dollars in the pantry. Have it all. Please come on. I'm scared. Well, if you want to go see the full trailer, that's just a teaser. Head to the Daily Wire's YouTube channel to get an even better idea of just how explosive this film is going to be. We seriously cannot wait to share the finished product with you. If you're planning on adding this terrifying thriller to your queue in 2022 and you want us to keep making content to combat the over-politicized mainstream entertainment um, sector, well, then you've got to subscribe. Become a subscriber today and also go check out the trailer and make sure you share it uh, on your social media pages as well. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. 
So today's uh, cancellation is something of a layup, I suppose. Here's uh, just just a thing that's begging to be canceled. Seth Rogen and Sarah Silverman are starring in an animated Christmas-themed miniseries called Santa Inc., which was just released today on HBO Max. Um, I I will play some of the preview for you, but you probably don't need to see it because all you have to do is imagine in your head what a woke, animated, R-rated Christmas show starring Seth Rogen and Sarah Silverman might look and sound like. And what you're imagining in your head is exactly what HBO has provided us. Uh, now that you've already imagined it and I play it, it'll, be, feel, it'll feel a little bit like deja vu, I suppose. But, but here it is. When you're a kid, there's only one day a year more special than any other day. And that day is Christmas. And we are the magic behind that day. So let's get these fucking kids some fucking presents. Bravo! Present the hardest working man in snowbiz. Good golly, he's jolly. Our own Santa Claus. Hey, Merry Christmas. Whoa, you're on my naughty list. Good news, sir. More American kids believe in you than they do in vaccines or the Holocaust. That's great. I mean, disheartening for America, but great for us. I'm here from the North Pole Times. Have you decided who will succeed you as Santa Claus? Subtext, Santa's old and knocking on death's door. F- you. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, good, good question. I'll give it some serious thought. Ha ha ho ho ho, bye. There have been many Santa Clauses throughout history. Some were loved, others loathed. But the position of Santa has mostly been a white man's game. Exactly, it's f***ing crazy. Things have got to change. My advice to you is, oh, if I die, get rid of my porn! I want to be the next Santa. If this is your dream, you have to at least make your case, bitch. You got to get intimate with that jolly bitch, bitch. That was, without exaggeration, one of the worst previews I've ever seen in my life for anything, ever. And I didn't even play the worst parts because there's another 45 seconds or so where we learn more about how Santa is bad because he's white and male. And what we really need is a non-white, non-male Santa. Also a non-Christian Santa, it would seem. It it, it probably didn't escape your notice that the lead actors in this Christmas show are not Christian. Now, that wouldn't be a problem except that the show is making fun of Christmas and um, was obviously produced by people who have real animosity towards Christmas traditions. One can only imagine the response if Christian actors start in a film making fun of Islamic customs, for example. In fact, even if Christian actors start in a film paying tribute to Islam and saying nice things about it, it would still be considered offensive and appropriative. And yet non-Christian actors can star in films mocking Christmas, and that's perfectly acceptable. But that's far from the worst part of this. What we really see is why and how comedy has died in our country. Now, I I personally can forgive almost any sin that comedy commits as long as it's still funny. That's my position. The the, the job of comedy is to be funny, after all. And so I'm somewhat uh, of a Machiavellian ends justify the means type when it comes to comedy. As long as you're making me laugh, I'm not all that worried about how you do it because I figure that's the job here. That's what you're supposed to be doing. Just make your comedy funny and that's all I ask. We'll sort the other details out later. And yet this this fundamental requirement is too onerous for most comedies these days. In this show, 
it seems that most of the laughs are supposed to come from the fact that the characters are cursing. The show is very impressed with its own vulgarity. It, so it's vulgar just for the sake of being vulgar. The very first punchline is, is that an elf says the F word. That's like the only punchline in the whole preview is that all the characters, oh, they're, they're, they're cussing and they're cartoons. And they go back to that well time and again, look, an elf is cussing. Look, now Santa is cussing. Look, now reindeer is cussing. Just wait till you hear the first, uh, you, you hear Frosty the Snowman. He's going to cuss too. It's lazy and it's boring and it's childish. Comedies these days are often lazy, boring, and childish. Also, we have the woke factor, of course. And woke isn't funny because, for one thing, there's nothing amusing about being preached at. In a certain context, it might be kind of funny to watch a feminist screech about the patriarchy or whatever. I mean, I was amused by the feminists protesting my event last night and screeching at me. But that's not the kind of amusement you want to derive from a comedy. And most importantly, on top of being irritating and self-righteous and fundamentally humorous, woke also represents the mainstream position. The position held by the powerful and the elite. Comedy, especially a vulgar R-rated comedy, should be transgressive and edgy. It should challenge the mainstream perspective. It should desecrate the sacred cows. Comedy, when it, when it, when it, when it performs this task, is actually playing an important role in society, I think. But most comedy today is propaganda on behalf of the elites, of the ruling class. That's why when I watch SNL for like the 90 seconds I can stomach it every six months or so, I get the sense that I'm watching like sketch comedy in North Korea or something. It's probably very similar there. Propaganda with bad punchlines and forced laughter. And finally, this show, like so much comedy today, um, isn't funny because it's too angry to be funny. It's, it's resentful. It's perfectly possible to make a Christmas comedy that pokes fun at Christmas traditions and also manages to be very funny. Many such comedies exist. A Christmas Story is an all-time classic in that genre. But that requires you to have some kind of understanding of and affection for the thing that you're lampooning. If you hate it, then all you'll end up making is a disgruntled diatribe, not a comedy. And that's what this is. And that's why everybody associated with this crime against comedy and against humanity is, of course, today canceled. And those of you who have not gone to uh, dailywire.com and uh, or rather johnnythewalrus.com is the quickest way to get there. Those of you who have not gone to johnnythewalrus.com and purchased a book, Johnny the Walrus, you are also canceled. We'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Ali Hinkle. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2021. The Supreme Court might overrule Roe versus Wade. Some Australians escape from a quarantine camp. And Dr. Oz runs for Senate. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.